1: With a time machine, kind of a DeLorean. This
2: is the stupid cancer show. Uh oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the (laughs) Mundus.
3: Hello there, children! Hey, hey, kids! <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now the host of the stupid cancer show, Annie Goodman and Matthew Zack. Woohoo! Not that there's
1: anything
3: wrong with that. Because there's a lot of folks. Oh <laughs> Alright.
4: Monday, May 13th, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. My name is Matthew Zachary. I am a 17-year young adult survivor of brain cancer.
2: And my name is Annie Goodman, journalist, young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your
4: hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, oh boy, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? time to get busy, living folks, because so the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo fusion at a time.
2: Join us tonight as we welcome particular cancer survivor and comedian H. Ellen Scott to share his story, and we're also joined by Susan Scala, Melanie Goldish with Super Civs, Super Civ, and Whitney Fisag, Fisag, what was the? You didn't consensus. practice, did you? What was the confessor on her Give last that. name? Fisag. A masses of nursing grads who discuss the unique and unmet needs of siblings in the cancer journey significantly in childhood, adolescence, and young adulthood. See?
5: Go ahead. Oh, boy, indeed, Matthew. The Stupid <laughs> Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, a nonprofit organization that empowers young adults affected by cancer online at stupidcancer.org.
4: And a Stupid Cancer welcome to any and all of our first time listeners here. On the blog of Radio Network and the Stupid Cancer Show, we're coming to you live from the chemo deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. So fabulous, so fabulous. It has no windows.
2: Windows are overrated in Manhattan.
4: Windows are overrated. You
2: pay a lot of extra money for a window in New York City. There was a and there, then the there was BC a
4: crane. The Sunday yeah. Times had a piece about what you can get for 800 bucks. Nothing? And it was literally like you had like an alley near a closet with no windows. You should take a cab ride from
5: the Bronx to Brooklyn. Why? For $800. Yes. (laughs) That's what you can get. My
2: first apartment in 2004 was $800 a month, but that was because my brother used to live there, and it was like super under market value, and it was a fifth-floor walk-up, and it was a railroad, so my roommate had to walk through my room to get to hers. That's quality. That's Quality really, privacy. When you are 23 and just new in Manhattan, a lot of weird things happen. Yes. So, anyway, so, I'll leave it at that. Candy, tell us about this that. Is a
4: real
1: coming-of-age <laughs> story. <anyway. laughs>
2: well, My parents are. have you listening. I can't give away too much information. That's
4: okay. That's okay. And the FCC doesn't care either. So. Yeah, true. Well, we are joined tonight live in studio by H. Allen Scott. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you guys? All right. That's enough out of you. Scott Slater
6: okay. is also here. Oh. I, I <laughs> just I <was> wandered in, <laughs> in off the street. Yes. They took me in. Are we you getting your mic? I don't know. Oh, oh, I can hear myself. There you go. (laughs) Scott Slater in the house. I literally just wandered in off the street. Yes. Scott Slater, our volunteer legacy
4: award winner at the OMG Cancer Summit for tolerating me for over six years.
6: That's worth an award, right? That is worth an award.
4: No, but H. Allen, you're here. Yes,
0: uh, thank you for having in, me. From New I really York, appreciate it. In from, in from L.A. And from Los Angeles, yeah. But I did live in
4: New York for many, many years. Boy, well, I mate, mean, you're in New York I now. I am. You're York from, right from California. Yeah. You, you realize that we made this entire show because you're in town, right? Oh. It's all about you. You mm-hmm. guys, just you know how to flatter a guy. <laughs> <laughs> do do? Super special. Super red, red right material. now. Super Oh, <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, Kenny, what's up?
5: Hello, Matthew. How are you? I'm doing just fine, thank you. What'd you do this weekend? Oh, Mother's Day. You're right, father's, Mother's Day. Father's birthday. Uh, is that weird that your father's birthday is on Mother's Day? Um, Does it no, it's, emasculate it, it, him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah I switched the gifts up. <laughs> nice. Uh, no, it's good. It's eight years since his diagnosis of testicular cancer.
4: Wow. He was it's 50, everywhere.
5: He was 50 years old and
4: it's the cancer and to and get
5: these yes. mm-hmm.
4: It's the new block. Yeah. So
5: it's uh it's good to
4: be eight years out of that nightmare
5: yes. that once
6: was mm-hmm. Indeed. all-consuming. Indeed. Did you and make, it, make we, any we, vine videos? Oh, God. Oh, yes.
5: Actually, <laughs> it's funny you bring up vine. It's <laughs> a new vine. <laughs> yeah, testicular cancer is the new vine. <laughs> <laughs> or vice versa. Uh, yeah, I rode my motorcycle, and subsequently I have uh, ten years of pollen nested in my under eyelid area <laughs> and I'm having a hard time it. It's definitely open. spring It's definitely spring yeah. yeah But
2: at least you have that beard to kind of I do They can just get in, in, embedded this is in a, there I'm
5: morning OMG this Right my, my morning It definitely beard.
2: looks like a playoff beard of some kind yeah. yeah You ever
0: get pollen in your beard? I don't know
5: That's like also, that
2: family guy where I Peter mean,
4: had the bird that lives in his beard
2: Oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll, yeah, I'll put it line. under a microscope <laughs> and see who yeah. it lives in it Kenny's about a week away from that
4: Annie you, you uh, sorry folks this weekend.
2: My parents are retired and live away.
4: Okay. Did you really so call your chilled.
2: mom? I called her. Okay. I did. Her at least ca- her, bare minimum. Her card is in my purse. Okay. I didn't have any stamps. I okay. I stole them from Kenny. So you need
5: to you need to, what you need to do is get a meter so that you can meter at like maybe right. in her like house. So she needs a meter. That's what I, a, I used to do
2: when I lived in, in Brooklyn in a railroad apartment with a roommate walking <laughs> by, she needs I, a I meter. Was, I, I don't in, live there anymore.
5: <laughs> when I lived in Brooklyn, I would meter my my rent check for the first crumple it up, and then I'd send it on, like, the 7th when I got paid. I don't know. Where did you get the meter? Like, did you just go we, to the we, we had a meter. Or you had it, but we, where? We have a meter here. Oh, you do?
2: Oh, yeah. okay. Got
0: it. Got, yeah. it.
2: got it. Interesting. Or I could just go to the post office and buy a book of stamps, but that apparently what? takes too much yeah. effort. Forever stamps. Yeah. Who, who does um, that? Yeah, so I called my mom, hung out with my friends, just kind of chilled out. It was really nice out, so went downtown, hung out. Not in my. I don't live in that railroad apartment. I live there in, like... Seven years I guess. We should go back there. You know you've lived in New York I've been in New York City almost a decade. It you were a medal or a out. monument? I don't know. Neither. It just seems so long.
5: Oh that's good fodder for, for talking right now. The what? Adam Yock
2: That's Park. right, the oh, My yeah. that, that was, was in, pretty in fab. Brooklyn, that
5: is pretty fab. Yalk. Yes.
2: Where which which area of Brooklyn is that in again? Wherever he grew up. Yes.
5: Just Google wherever Adam Yock. To grew the
2: up. Google.
6: Well at least yeah. we have internet this it, week. It's right where Adam Yauk Park is.
4: Hey Chandler, did you know Adam? No, I don't. ever met him. You know, who know he is? No. The Beastie Boys.
6: Oh yes, of course.
0: See, that's how I know
4: him. Yeah. Of the Beastie yeah. Boys. You're not gonna tell you're a comedian because yeah. you're holding the mic in your hand. Oh yeah, I feel more comfortable. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I've never seen that. He's before. literally really? holding the mic in his hand. Oh, <laughs>
0: can't help it's it. Let's got on the radio. It's in yeah. Brooklyn Heights.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very cool. cool.
0: Very very cool. Mm-hmm. I didn't listen to the Beastie Boys really as a kid. We were Mormons, so that was not happening in my family.
4: Wait, you're a Mormon? Yeah.
0: Okay. Was. Was. Not so much. You're anymore. a reform Mormon. I'm a reform Mormon. Once R- I am a Reform Mormon. I was reformed. Yeah. yeah. You're gonna go on that like TLC show? I should. Yeah. I, was, like, I, Amish. I did a sister wives um Vine the other day. Cool. Which I thought was awesome.
5: So right now you're on a stupid cancer mission.
0: Yeah. 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 yeah totally. I mean I approved this
2: message. Wow! But I know you
0: need my approval. I do. Yes, I true. always seek approval. That's why I'm a stand-up comic. Yes, exactly. I have yeah. so many
2: questions about your religion change, but uh, it, it, that would take up an entire show. Well,
4: before we officially get to you, I really want to. We want to pay a little homage tonight. We lost uh, a very brave um, member of the cancer advocacy universe uh, this weekend. She was the uh, one of the original founders of, um, of uh, Breast Cancer Action, which was one of the most um, anti-establishment, disruptive non-profits come out many, many years ago, um, and I was involved with them indirectly because I just appreciated their marketing angle, their philosophy. They accepted... Um, they were kind of like the... Um, They're like watchdogs. They were the watchdogs for the breast cancer movement. Like someone had to watch the watchers, and they were like those people. Up it
2: was like she, she did Think Before You Pink, which is... Pr- the things that she did were pretty amazing, like calling out KFC... Pink buckets and pink-labeled uh, Yoplait lids. Well, they were very, leg- vacuum very heavily and-
4: legislative, too. They yeah. did a lot of stuff on Capitol Hill.
2: And they wanted to make sure money didn't go to companies which were profiting off of the disease. and.
4: Right. They were very anti-pink. Once the whole pink phenomenon overtook our culture every October and creaked into September and even November... They were the ones that actually did the market research, the consumer feedback and and they held the companies accountable who said they were gonna pledge X amount of money. And for the companies this is one of many things they did of course. Um and the companies that like didn't list a percentage on the pink, you know, toilet paper mm. you were gonna buy, like what did they actually do with that money? They're the ones that did the public research, like the Nightburg kind of stuff. Mm. Uh consumer advocacy things. Sure. Uh they so, like consumer their- reports.
2: They coined the term "pinkwashing." Pinkwashing.
4: They have a great film, "Pink Ribbon Blues." Wow. Uh, that that is out now, and they're coup de gra- They've been on the show every year, every October. We have breast cancer action on the show for the last six years. They'll be on again this this October. Um, Barbara was the founder. She started all this. She started the "Think Before You Pink" movement. The crowning achievement to me, I mean, the, so many successes with that brand, um, was the year that they got play to agree that they were a bunch of schmucks. Mind you, YoPlay is not a sponsor of this show, but what YoPlay did, they have the pink lids campaign where you have to, like, eat the YoPlay and send the lid mm-hmm. back in, so it costs you 10 cents, it uh, costs you 46 cents for them to donate a dime to Komen, but meanwhile, the yogurt that they were using that you had to eat before you could send the lid had bovine growth hormone in it, which causes, is a leading cause of a predisposition for breast cancer. Isn't well, that like, a,
2: it's not like yeah. a thing yeah. like
5: Greek yogurt and bovine hormones?
4: Well, they're selling... It comes
5: separate and you
4: combine it. So you so like
5: like <laughs> honey. There's a new Activia yeah. flavor. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
4: but they actually got YoPlay to admit that they're, they, they're idiots and they stopped using BGH in all their yogurts. So the pink lids is actually only partially stupid now because it still costs you 48 cents to mail yeah. something in that they'll donate a dime to common. It's yeah. still pretty stupid. Yeah. But Breast Cancer Action got play and their partner company, I think Seagram right. or whatever, that, like, you're such a hypocrite. They went up to Cohen because the Cohen perfume has, like, all sorts of chemicals in it that groups like the Environmental Working Group and Safer Chemicals said this is retarded to have in a perfume. Anyway, Barbara Brenner, I knew, knew her personally, had dinner with her many, many times, saw her at lots of conferences the last decade. Um, she developed Lou Gehrig's disease as if surviving breast cancer wasn't enough and was rendered uh, you know, homebound, uh, couldn't speak, and she used a device like Roger Ebert kind of device, mm-hmm. and she kept dictating her brilliance to the universe, and she passed away this week, and uh, she will be missed. A really good friend. God bless Barbara Brenner, uh, 1951 to 2013. Rest in peace.
2: You know what I, f- I feel like I shall do in her honor? I, w- I went to a women's cancer walk, um, the big Revlon one in New York City. And, it, you know, they do a lot of great things. And I have, I'm so jaded because I have such a different view of these walks now that I've actually had cancer. And at the end, they gave out medals for a 5K run-walk. Medals. Really? Sponsored by Toyota. And I said to... The lady, I was like, I don't want one because you know how much money you could have donated to research instead of getting giving everybody a friggin' medal. Right. Why do you need a medal? Right. You you okay? You either walked or ran three miles. Big deal. It's not a marathon. If you run right. a marathon or a half marathon, you've earned your medal. Right. But they give out T-shirts and crap and medals and food and all this. And you know, one of my friends that I was with was like, kind of like, keep it down over there, our sister. Stop freaking out. But at the same time, it's me off. It's like, you know what? Why do you have that? And they had thousands left over. Why do these people need medals? It was so stupid. I was so pissed. I, I know, should write them a note. A
0: lot of it has to do with, uh, and I've noticed this a lot ever since, also, like you said, after having cancer, things your, you don't your, your think perspective about it. really changes. Yeah. But it's this validation that comes, that is needed, that is felt is needed, I think, on a lot of people, from people who have cancer, but also people who don't have cancer but participate in these events. They need that sort of validation of... I ha- I need something to prove that I've supported this cause, either the shirt or the, the, the medal or the, the something, something that they took up the fight, you and know?
2: It makes me so mad when I show up with, like, their boas and crap, and I'm <laughs> like, oh, my God, just, like, drag stop show. buying the boas, <laughs> seriously. But honestly, yeah.
4: part of the reason why we believe it's okay to feel this way about something people really care about, and that may actually help people down the road, is because of groups like Breast Cancer Action. Mm-hmm. They made it okay to be a little dissentful yeah. and and sadistic or captious yeah. about this sort of this bureaucratic mechanism, this machine that is pink yeah. for breast the cancer, and where where does that. your really where where, where, do you, where does your money really go? Are you really helping people? Is this just materialistic, superfluous, you know, frosting the corporatization of yeah. cancer? exactly. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, rest in peace, Barbara. Um, so let's officially bring you onto the show. And we'll cue you in with... If you can guess the film, no one talk that this soundtrack is from, you uh, win a prize. H. Alan Scott is a writer and comedian. He's a contributor to the Huffington Post, uh, exojane.com, Whitstream, and among others. He has performed at Caroline's, the Hollywood Improv, the Punchline, and all throughout the U.K. Currently working on his team occasion, a virtual live show about his response to cancer... Testicular cancer chemotherapy. Oprah said his name once, and that is his claim to fame. Besides being on the Stupid Cancer Zone, please welcome H. Allen Scott. Now, the film,
0: it's a Saks record. Yes. It's from Saks, I know
4: that. Yeah, but I don't know the film.
0: It's from Get Shorty.
2: Oh, I, I, you know,
0: John Travolta hit on me once, and ever since then, I've just (laughs) looked everything he's done. He
2: invited you to a massage at a hotel one? Yeah,
0: I, I saw his Shorty. No, <laughs> no, I'm joking. I have You know what? That my,
6: massage wasn't even that good. You know, <laughs> the, the no. secret actor in that film was James Gandolfini. Mm.
1: Mm. No one
4: realized that he was Bear. Wow. In that film, and then he went on to play, you know, Tony Soprano. But like that film was like that's Tony Soprano. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. cool. Anyway, welcome. Thank you very much. To New much. York. Yes. you, LA inhabitant. Yeah. So we're here. This is the young adult universe. You are a young adult survivor of testicular cancer, which I believe Scott is as well. Yes. In fact, I can confirm that because I know that.
2: Did you see it? It's you classical. You, I know you. Said, the way you said it was so like emphatic. Like I, like I can. I know it. Yeah,
4: I put it on Vine. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I can't wait to get on later. Well,
4: testicular <laughs> cancer is the number one cancer in men aged 30 to 45. Yeah. Which you clearly seem to be in that age bracket. I turned 30 on, and got it on the like um, literally okay. a week later. Well, that's the checkbox problem, yeah. <laughs> yeah. On your surveys. <laughs> so talk us through your life. I mean, it's cool to be a comedian and out in the public eye, and you're, yeah. you're you know you you want to we- the world you wear the world on your sleeve on purpose for the world to love you. And I'm a pianist. I understand the need for an audience and all that yeah. stuff. But what was your life like, and how did you find this, and describe the upheaval that was so where before.
0: Getting diagnosed? Correct. Okay. Uh, I have been doing stand-up since I was 17 um, from St. Louis, Missouri, originally. And uh, I forgive you. Yeah, You don't like <laughs> St.
4: Louis? I love St. Louis. Oh, okay. They have a great cancer center there. Yes, they do. Hope. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Great, great people. Uh, and, yeah, no, I, I'm from St. Louis. I've been doing stand-up for years, and um, I, I don't even know what to say about myself, actually. So I went to Los Angeles to do stand-up and to... Try to find work um, when I got diagnosed. And Do you have any inspirations? Inspiration in terms in of the, comedy? In the comedy world. Oh, yeah. Uh, Woody Allen. Uh-huh. Certainly, Steve Martin. Obsessed with Steve Martin. Ellen DeGeneres, like beyond Sondra Bernhardt on every shape and form <laughs> level.
1: Uh,
0: Sondra Bernhardt is just a genius in her weirdness. Um, Do you know her? I've met her a few times. Okay. Yeah, and I've, of course, been to a bunch of shows, and we have mutual friends. Because right. She's a comedian. Yes. Um and Liz Winstead, creator of Daily Show, is another yes,
4: big one mm-hmm. for me. Love her. Um, it was a lot. So did you just find the lump one day, or you had pain? or like I what? had
0: pain. I was training for the New York Marathon. I had just started training, and uh, I had a pain in my groin that I thought was... I thought it was a hernia, you know, and uh, I was in Los Angeles, and I didn't have any doctors or anything out there because I was living in New York. Um, I was just out there for work, and so I went to my friend's doctor. Apparently, it's like the gay doctor in Los Angeles. It's
2: probably a good place to meet guys.
0: You, well, you know, I ran into someone I know in the lobby, actually. No. And he didn't tell me why he was there. Um, okay. Anyway, and I I went back, and he the doctor thought it was an STD, originally, which I think is pretty common for testicular cancer, um, or at least they, they think that, like, that's one of the first signs before right. seeing what it really is. And I told him that you have to have sex in order to get an STD, and that's so not my situation. So I'm sure that's wrong. But he did the blood work, and uh, and then a week later, um, on the night I have a huge show, like, industry is coming. It's a big deal. I invited everybody. My doctor calls me and tells me um, that I have elevated HCG levels and that I need to go to the urologist immediately. Um, so the next morning, I go to the urologist. So well, you did the show. The show was on. I did the on. show. I broke down at the show. I did cry at the show because I knew news was probably bad. Um, Not in front of the crowd. In front of the crowd. Oh, really? But my writing partner and the person I perform with, Brian Wilson, he's amazing, and he we turned it into a bit, and it was perfect. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I did cry during the show. And and then the next the next day, I went to the urologist, and... Um, the the place was... Well, first they were playing Adele in the waiting room. Oh, God. Oh, boy. Wait, what year was this? This well, this was just, uh, past August. Oh, wow. Um,
5: Never mind, I'll find some ball like you.
0: <laughs> ah, puns. <laughs> Adele puns. Um, and I just thought it was weird that, like, they were playing Adele on a loop at a place where, like, men already feel inadequate about themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need Adele to... Really further that, and and the place is crowded. And I go back and there's no room for me. So they they do like the whole um, oh god the X not the X-ray but what is it they called the uh, ultrasound ultrasound thank you and and then there's no room for me to sit in. So they make me go to the doctor's office and like it reminded me of Dr. Jason is it Jason Seaver on Growing Pains yeah Dr. Seaver yeah, yeah on Growing Pains it reminded me of his office. It was like wood panel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, And I had to like take my pants down. It, it had the cross pen his, in the his thing. Yeah, box. yeah. It totally <laughs> had the cross pen. The diplomas, everything. I yeah. had to take my pants down. Like I was just new in Hollywood. Like I knew there was a director's couch situation. Yeah. Like <laughs> this, this was like a whole other... Like. His, his lunch? His lunch was like five feet away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like, yeah like, did I get the part? <laughs> yeah, I, know. I did. Um, of cancer. And, and uh, he, so he did... He checked everything, and he confirmed that he needed it to take out um, the tumor, left testicle. And I had surgery
4: the next day.
2: That's quite the turnaround.
4: Yeah. That actually is. I mean, you only went misdiagnosed for what, like a week or two? Uh, a, a, Yeah, a little over a week. That's actually pretty fortunate. Yeah. Was this doctor you saw that originally thought it was an STD a young doctor or an old doctor? Um, Middle-aged. Okay. Yeah. He
0: was—he probably he in his 40s, 50s. I don't know. He could have been 28. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I have no clue. Uh, but I, so you, you had to come back to New York for treatment. No, I did not. Really? I decided to. Um, I looked at my. I mean, I had my surgery in Los Angeles because it was so immediate, and uh, I had about a month before I started chemo to sort of figure things out. And I didn't know. I, I looked at my finances and what everything was shaping up to cost, and I realized that it would just be too expensive for me to live in New York on a very successful stand up comedian salary and so <laughs> I decided to stay in Los Angeles where I had really close family. Did you um, have insurance? I did have insurance. Okay. Yes. I do have insurance. Right, right. Uh but even then it's still the money is it's just it's so much money. Um Yeah. And and so I decided to stay in Los Angeles and do all of my treatment in Los Angeles. At Cedars? Or you, where were you? I was at Cedars, yeah. Yeah, good place. Really good place. Well, yeah.
2: I have to admit, one of the YouTube videos I that you've done that was my favorite was when you got up in the morning to go do your deposit. Oh, yeah. Can you please share with everybody what the you did? The sperm bank
0: moment. Well, it's actually what happened before my deposit was really what frightened me. Um, I, I I So before going through chemo that you want to freeze your sperm so that you know you can have children someday and I um I was in the habit of like not reading things until I absolutely had to like I wasn't following any rules really until I absolutely had to and so the night before I'm going to make my deposit I uh I read the fine print and it says you're supposed to abstain for seven days prior to going to the sperm bank and like I had had a particularly lonely morning Oh, boy. Exactly. You're like, like how's
5: two and a half days? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know.
0: So I flipped out thinking like, shit, I start oh, can I curse? Yep. Yeah, yeah, I, cool. I'm I, I, I,
2: talking about masturbating. I think I know word I have to. okay. <laughs> yeah, and I was
0: like, I start chemo in five days. I don't have seven days here. I have a day. Should I just trust the Spunk, which should be a hashtag? Just trust. <laughs> <the spunk. laughs> that's, my
4: new, that's my new band. Just, like, <laughs> yeah. Trust Scott. You and me. Trust yeah. the Spunk.
0: Trust the Spunk, guys. I'll be a special guest there.
1: Um, or
0: do I like just give up having children? Like I, I just was felt so embarrassed that like my my ability to have children someday could be diminished because I have no self control for like on demand cable. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like
6: <laughs> that's that's what I thought. Usually no self control means you get children. I know. <laughs> I know,
0: right? Not in my world. Uh and then I go I decide to trust the spunk and I go to um the early morning deposit the video that you saw and I walk in and like the nurse First off, it's nothing like you see on television at all. It was in a hospital. Like, it was so sterile. There was no videos. There was nothing. The nurse looked like my mom, and she had the same name as my mother. Oh, God. (laughs) Like, seriously. She takes me back into this back room. No America's largest 3G failure. Like, there's no access to any sort of naughty time pictures or anything. Right. I can't do anything. The only thing I have is um, CNN comes in and HGTV.
1: Those are the – so
0: Rob, the former morning weatherman – on CNN is the reason why I may have children. <laughs> 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 Did they have
6: any uh, Adele?
0: There was no Adele. There was no Adele, unfortunately. Uh, unfortunately. I had right. to keep
4: it up. This is the
6: best show ever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, so, yeah, I, mean, I made my but that's
4: it. important, though. Yeah. I mean, the, the the whole we have so many people come on, men and women, of course, with all different cancers, who are not even given the option, yeah, to like you know think about do you want to have a family. Some of them just didn't want to think about it. Right. Yeah. A, you're not ready for it to think about it anyway. If you're like 17 with breast cancer, yeah. the last thing on your mind, you know, on top of the fact that you just may not even want to be dating somebody, or even the the that you could be dating somebody, and it's the farthest thing from your mind. Yeah. But you have to think about it right yeah. then and there,
0: in those 10 seconds. Trust the spawn.
4: Yes. <laughs> <Trust> <laughs> hashtag. <sponge>. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wow. So, all right. So, did you you have the, what's called an or, orchectomy? Orchiectomy. Orchiectomy. Oh, thank you.
5: I never get that word right. Orchie-
2: does that mean ball removal? Yes.
0: Yeah. yeah.
5: Okay. The orchiectomy. I'll have like or the, uh, the number seven, the
4: orchiectomy.
1: <laughs> yeah. With, with,
4: with it? With marinara.
1: <laughs>
4: Isn't that a pasta, too, or, orchietto or something? It's a pasta. I I just made it a pasta. It should be. I think it's
2: orquette. Orquette?
4: Okay. (laughs)
5: Is it cheese
2: filled? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Kenny. (laughs) Line cross.
4: No, Kenny with the Smegma reference. Lovely. (laughs) I'm going (laughs) to take
2: my headphones off (laughs) (laughs) the desk now.
4: That's fantastic. All right, so so you had the procedure. I had the procedure. Did they uh, offer you a prosthetic?
0: Uh, well, no, I wasn't off, I, eventually, once I healed, I was able to, I could go back and get it put in, but I had had a, the surgery and my body did not mix very well, there was lot, my, my body didn't want to, like, recycle my blood, so it was seeping from my, from my wound, Ooh. Uh, which, and, like, waking up in the middle of the night with, like, dead blood all over
4: you oh, was so terrifying. Especially out of your scrotum, yeah. Yeah, I oh. was,
0: well, no, it wasn't actually, it's it's from, um, the pelvic area.
4: okay. Oh, okay. That's where
0: my, my incision is. Wow. And, uh. Did I say that right, Surson? Yeah. And I, uh, so I just, with that image, like, I didn't want to do surgery again. It's, uh, the surgery is not an area for me to go. Okay, so you're. And you said you're a lefty or a righty? So they took my left one, the shower of the two. Um, So now my, the the ball sort of, because it's smaller, it kind of sneaks in the middle, and I'm not saying I have a wide or large dick, but it, um, it, it, it tends to, but if you like the to dick infer. Tends, if you look at it, it looks like an elephant trunk with turkey gobble to the left and to the right, with like no apparent testicle. There, which is kind of like a clown show in the bedroom, I suppose. But like, it's, it's are you
2: gonna find uh, this later? <laughs> I, well, I,
0: in my act, if you come see a show and there's a video screen and I'm doing cancer material, you're gonna see a before and after picture. Well, that's All my right. next
4: question. Yeah. How has how has gone through going through this experience affected your art, your craft, the way you express yourself?
0: Yeah, it's um, it's hard not. I I find that there's two different ways of looking at it. So there's shows that I produce that like people know they're getting cancer, they know they're coming for that, they know what they're getting, but There's other shows that uh, here in New York these past couple of weeks. I've been doing random Friends of Mine shows. And these audiences aren't prepared for the cancer bomb. You know what I mean? Like the C-bomb is usually another word. It's not cancer. And so, like, they're not used to it. So it's it's, it's sort of, I can't do my old material because that just seems trite right now. Knowing if anyone follows me or anyone sees me, they know that this is what I'm going Mm -hmm. through. But at the same time, I have to talk about it but not be a total downer talking about it. So there is a process of... Communicating on stage in a way that is both honest and also funny you know how do you think Tignatara handled her oh I thought she was amazing yeah. I think she is amazing I uh she's I, on the show literally like the week after her surgery really yeah Yeah. she's incredible I was uh, in touch with her right after because we both around the same time right she yeah and um She's amazing. And, uh, you know, of course, she's an LA comic for years. So. Did you see she, the shit she pulled on was a Kimmel or or oh, Conan. Conan? Conan. That, that, was, thing. Yeah, that was, was so great. funny. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely check it out. Google Conan Tignataro. Oh, yeah. You'll know, yeah. laugh your ass off. It's really funny. Although, yeah.
5: un- unlike her, you did the interview here and not from the back of a New York City cab.
4: That's true. That's right. That's she true.
0: was yeah.
5: in
4: town and really? called from a cab <laughs> working on Schumer's show. Amy yeah. Schumer's show. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Amy, by the way, Amy is a friend of the show. Yeah. Amy was the very first comedian we ever worked with with for a fundraiser back oh, in 2008. Amy is great. And I'm glad to see her career taken off She's after amazing. all this time. Yeah, She's she really deserves great. it. Yeah. So, do you dabble in the comedy world with all these players? Yeah, well, I mean, we all do the same shows. And same Have you been on, like, uh, a, um, uh, a roast? Comedy Central roast? I hate roast. I like the, show. they're, they're so they're, campy. the shows. The so can't be stupid. shows are
0: fun, but I've never been on a road. Okay. Um, I don't even watch them unless it's Roseanne or B.
4: Arthur's on it. <laughs> <laughs> B. Arthur was on it? Right, right, yeah. exactly. Well, Betty White now. Yeah, Betty well, White,
0: Heart, Pitter Patter.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm really glad you stopped by. You're going to yeah. be on the show the whole time. The show, the rest of the show is about siblings. Do you gotta, have siblings? I have. Many. So we'll, we'd love to have you chime in on the conversations about the relationship that your siblings have to you and your cancer and your treatments, and yeah. did they get support? That's the whole forgotten caregiver, uh-huh. you know, because when you're a young adult, it's usually your parents that come over and help you, if not your spouse. Yeah. But if you have a brother or a sister, um, they're the ones that usually, you know, you get all the attention because of this. And, and especially in children, yeah. you know, you have to pay equal attention to both children. I have twins. I have no choice. I had to make you fifty-fifty. Yeah. <laughs> 50, 50. yeah. If you're a nine-year-old and a two-year-old it's a little different. But if you have d- d- disease, anyways, the the next half of the show is going to be all about siblings, and that's great. So thank you so yeah. much for uh, thank you for having giving me. us of your time. You get applause. <laughs> ah, applause, <laughs> Good job. And uh, we're going to hit up the news right now, Kenny.
0: Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is
4: Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Kenny.
5: What's up? Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org, your one stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something will be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. Matt, we have a bunch of meetups coming up. We have Anaheim, Berkeley, Denver, Rochelle Park, and Astoria, and then finally San Clemente. A lot of stuff going on. Once again,
4: events.stupidcancer.org. All right, the Stupid Cancer Forums have nearly 5,000 members. This is your premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers just like you. Visit stupidcancerforums.org and sign up with one click
5: through Facebook. I'm heading over there now, Matthew. All right, the Stupid Cancer Store has scores of awesome products for sale right now. We just got back all of our new crap from OMG, and it's available in the store. It is actually crap. It is actually crap, but it's for sale, and it's awesome. Head on over to stupidcancerstore.org. And that is your Stupid Stupid Cancer Cancer News. News.
2: Is it crap or like tchotchkes?
4: It's like swag. Most of it's really cool stuff. It's 90% of my wardrobe. All right. Well, we got a great show for you here. Andy's going to be introducing our three guests right now to the show.
2: So we have Susan Scala, the executive director of SuperSIBS. Suzanne has been a nonprofit leader for over twenty years and serves on several nonprofit boards as well. She has been with SuperSIBS since two thousand seven, and she is joined by Melanie Goldish, who is the founder of SuperSIBS, a global nonprofit orga- organization now supporting thirty four thousand brothers and sisters of children with cancer and their families. And Whitney. Did I get that right?
4: She's guess gonna we'll, get
2: I guess we'll find out.
4: Thumbs up or thumbs down when she's yeah. on the air.
2: She is a childhood cancer sibling survivor. Her sister Krista was diagnosed with a brain tumor when she was two and her sister was five. So welcome to Whitney, Suzanne, and Melanie.
4: Ladies. Good
2: evening. Good evening. I
3: gotta Good
2: evening.
4: Tell you, It's been a very long time since we've covered siblings on the Stupid Cancer Show, so I really want to thank you guys for rallying around it and being there for us tonight. Thanks, Matt. We're
3: glad that you're having
4: us on. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. So I want to really quickly just start with uh, Melanie as the founder. From one founder to another, congratulations on still being alive after founding a nonprofit organization. Um, but uh, tell us the, the, the history of Super Sibs, what the rationale behind it, which is obvious to people like us, but to our listeners, and um, the, the staggering growth.
3: Oof, it's been quite a journey, as you know, Matt, with the the Cancer Show for so long. And with SuperSibs, going through a personal experience starting in 1998 when my oldest son was diagnosed with cancer, that's the whole journey you talk about uh, all the time on the show. But for our family, what I started to realize at the time was that my younger son, who was four years old at the time, Spencer, started to really exhibit a lot of behaviors and, and emotions that were really came through later to, to just realize he was like walking wounded as if he had been diagnosed with cancer emotionally. And uh, when I started to look around and see what other families were doing to help these vulnerable brothers and sisters, Really, there was nothing on an ongoing basis to help these siblings heal. And what occurred to me was, when a child is diagnosed with cancer, everyone in the family needs healing, and we all deserve support. The patients, of course, the parents, of course, and the brothers and sisters of children with cancer. So I, I like to say, I, I did a lot of research. I did do a lot of research and jumped off the corporate cliff, uh, my corporate for-profit job, and said, you know, it's time to point the finger at myself. It's time to be a part of the solution. And from the very start, when I founded the organization in 2002, we knew that our mission was clear, and that was to help siblings of kids with cancer to face the future with strength and courage and hope. And that evolved then into the mission, which is to really change the culture of oncology care so that siblings are supported from the very beginning of their brother and sister's diagnosis to help them heal from the psychosocial journey. And it went from 485 children and families served that first year to now, as Andy said, over 34,000 of these at-risk brothers and sisters that are being supported by the SuperSips program.
2: And what kind of uh, what do you
3: offer? What
2: kind of support do you offer siblings?
3: So the sibling support is really unique because brothers and sisters aren't always at the hospitals. So in in starting the organization, we knew we have to meet the siblings where they are. And uh, currently, what we do is send ongoing support that's age appropriate, all free of charge. It's custom for that brother or sister. And we serve siblings between the ages of 4 through 18 by sending comfort and care elements through the mail. So packages arrive right at their home with books about the sibling journey, guided journals to help them think through how to manage this process now as well as into their future, as well as elements to just really recognize their strengths, their own vulnerability and to celebrate their taking a step forward every single day in their own sibling survivorship journey. We also have implemented and are launching an upgraded teen sibling website called SIBSpeak and Suzanne can speak about that in a little bit. Uh, we have scholarship programs with now over 79 super-sib scholarship recipients helping them attend college and of course supporting sibling research as well.
4: Well, that's amazing, and again, as one found it to another, to, to see your vision become something significant, there's nothing more rewarding than that, especially when you are a customer of your own charity, as, as you are apparently to this. Um, let me bring on Suzanne real quick, and then we'll hit Whitney up, because Whitney is a case study for pediatric siblings and, and, and cancer. Um, but, Suzanne, you joined a Super Sims, um six years ago, and uh, you uh, still have survived as well as a nonprofit leader, um, what uh, what got you into the space?
3: Well, actually meeting Melanie, um, I, I, I've i heard about Melanie's story and her son Travis's story before I even came to SuperSibs, and um, it's so inspirational what she did and what her family's been through, and to start an organization has such a unique niche. Um, I don't have a sibling with cancer personally, but I have siblings. And I know what it's like to, to grow up and care about, uh, care about your siblings and have those kind of close relationships. And what we learn so much through, through super sibs, when you tell people the story, even if they don't, they aren't specifically touched by it, it seems that everybody understands how complicated and difficult it must be for a sibling when their brother or sister is diagnosed.
4: Well, exactly. So so let's turn to her. And by the way, before Whitney, really quickly, I was 21 when I was diagnosed and my brother was 17. So that was a late teen college situation. And we really did face a kind of a, a, a very similar dynamic to what you guys are, the need that you're filling right now. But Whitney, you were five and your sister was two, correct?
7: Um, I was two and she
4: was You were four, two and she was five. She so was clearly, diagnosed. you don't remember this, but and 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 sadly she she passed away when you were i'm guessing I'm doing the math here um four or five, correct
7: I was five yes,
4: so do you remember those days? do you remember the your 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 family experiences at that age?
7: Oh, absolutely, I think that's one of the major misconceptions about small children and what they're going through is that they are affected. Um, just the expression looks a little different. Um, I think Melanie can probably speak to this about Spencer, and she touched on it a little bit. You know, those behaviors aren't always verbal, but they are you know, come out in different things like regression um, skills that your child may have already achieved and then goes backward in, such as potty training. A child at that age um, can experience that and, and exhibit what this experience is, is bringing into their life.
2: And what are some of the challenges for parents? I know that sometimes a lot you know when you're dealing with young children, it's difficult because you know one kid would need a significant amount of the attention um and I'm sure a lot of siblings can be upset that their brother or sister is sick, and also that they're just not getting as much mom and dad time while during you know during all this so what are some of the challenges that you guys see with parents dealing with siblings?
3: I think the, I'll jump into this one. It's, it's Melanie. As as a parent and as one who's now worked with the, over the past 10 years with other parents going through this journey, there are really a couple of challenges. First of all, the parents are trying to keep their child alive. But before they can even do that, they're trying to keep themselves upright. So that already takes 150% of their energy. And then they have their beloved other children. And what's very difficult is, particularly at the beginning when a child is diagnosed with cancer, it's very hard for the parents to know as they're absorbing this sort of drinking from the fire hose of information about cancer, oh, by the way, this is what you need to be aware of to watch out for with your other children. And as Whitney said, whether it's um, aggression that they start hitting or biting, younger children or regressing in school, as she mentioned, or whether it's teenagers internalizing a lot of their angst or whether they're taking on additional jobs to help out at home or having to quit other activities at school. Parents really don't. um, It's difficult for parents to be able to be aware of that all happening when they're in this sudden maelstrom of of the cancer journey. So what is very important is to, to gently but directly help parents understand, first of all, you're not alone, and there are organizations like Sibs. well, Sibs is here specifically to help siblings of children with cancer, and uh, not other organizations, but, but there are your hospital support team of child life specialists and social workers and oncology nurses that can truly help you understand the sibling journey as well to be able to manage that roller coaster of emotions and to be able to work through some of the logistics the other thing is parents need to know that teachers can be either tremendously helpful for those vulnerable brothers and sisters to get through each day or they can also be a devastating element in the sibling's journey when teachers don't understand or if they perhaps sort of say you know get over it you're at school right now it just doesn't work that way so there's a lot of awareness for parents and Super does. A wonderful job at, uh, as I say, gently, lovingly uh, making parents aware of what to look for, and also equipping them with tools to help their brothers, their other children, to be able to manage with as much strength as possible. And then, right. is there to help augment that that support.
4: Right. I was going to say because it's horrible from the start. So how do you make it less miserable? Is is kind of what we joke about. Like, how do you? Right reduce the brunt of it being so god awfully tragic and terrible. Let me go back go to Whitney for a quick second because I'd love you to talk more about what you remember as a two, three, four year old and even after your, your your um your uh your sister passed away, your relationship with your parents and how that has changed if at all as you have now been brought into uh young adulthood and I believe you're actually going to be you said you were going to be a nurse, which I think is amazing so i'd love I'd love to hear that journey
7: well, um you know, as Melanie's talking about the role of parents and what parents are able to do, um you know they're like she said, drinking from that fire hose, but the functioning that their family you know comes into the cancer situation with makes a huge difference for, you know, how these siblings are able to come through it as well. Um, speaking of my own situation, my family was already in um, some degree of chaos and beginning stages of divorce, and I'm sure that that contributed to our lack of family functioning because there was a, um, a loss of cohesion. And that really affected my ability to be resilient, and I think it affected my parents' ability to be resilient and work as a team because they are – we're already losing that team factor with each other. And um, just speaking on a general sense and more globally, I think that's where the screening process for um, these care teams needs to come into play. Uh, It's very rare in actual practice, but the data really shows that they need to identify families with uh, current difficulties and those that are at risk for later challenges so that they can address the whole family in a broad-based sense.
4: Well, there's data for you, Susanna, Melanie.
3: No kidding. Really? You know, it's, as, as Whitney said, that's, that's what we've been trying so hard to bring forward, and I think the hospitals and cancer-related organizations are starting to pick up on this, that if that screening process can take place right at diagnosis, then an ongoing treatment plan can be in place to help the siblings as well so that they don't experience post-traumatic stress or uh, aggression or guilt or anxiety or depression, et cetera. So many of the negative, debilitating outcomes that can come from this journey. But instead, this sibling journey, it can be, as you talk about every day on the show, is that we can redefine this sibling cancer journey so that the siblings can find their resilience and their growth and a different kind of empathy and relationships with others and their own independence and strength, we can redefine the journey. And that's where it goes from a horrible, dark place to really something of how can we squeeze some beauty out of this journey.
7: And And I absolutely agree with that. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. Um, Just because I can recognize how much independence and maturity and compassion and empathy I see um, as I volunteer with other families and walk alongside with them in the cancer journey um, as a bone marrow transplant volunteer to really see those differences in the siblings come out.
2: Right. And my questions for Melanie. What are some of the barriers that you're seeing in making progress and getting the help to those who need it, whether it be from nurses and doctors and social workers? How are you getting your services and organization out there to the people who need it most?
3: I think I can talk in general, and then Suzanne, now uh, that she's the executive director, uh, promoted her to that role. I think she can give some current and, for either more current information, in general, the barriers are that specifically at hospitals, the you know, oncology ner- uh, social workers, nurses, and child life specialists are truly spinning so many plates at once. So there, there, it's very difficult for them to be able to find additional really time for attention to help these siblings and frankly we're not okay with that so what we're trying to do is help these fam these uh, hospitals and organizations be more efficient with how they provide this support so super provides tools as i say sort of spoon feeding the hospital professionals so they don't have to create from scratch what do we do and so there have been complete Uh, Toolkits that have been sent to hospitals as well as training and consultation to help them implement and and get over those barriers of we don't have time, we don't have resources, or we don't know what to do.
4: Right, and that opens up up, uh, a potential Pandora's box because how do you ensure standards? And do you work with the oncology societies or the social worker societies? And is there a way to build like a CME into this while they're in school you know, or they want to get more accreditation to ensure. You know, our our motto has always been we want to ensure that no one goes unaware of resources, age appropriate resources, and this is certainly in that category. Uh, what efforts have you guys undertaken? And, and I mean, side of, side note, how can we help uh, to make sure that this is a, a significantly represented talking point in that uh, in those those moments with providers?
3: Well, we're as I say, we're always banging the spoon on the high chair, so they pay attention, because otherwise siblings become an afterthought in the care, the standard of care, or they become a rounding error in a budget that has maybe a hundred dollars left, which doesn't make any sense. So, uh, absolutely, what you said is super. Uh, we've participated in many, many teleconference education workshops, a number of which uh, have had CMEs attached to them. Very, very importantly, we continue to participate on the, uh, in the national and international conferences for those various associations, including uh, the American Pediatric Oncology Social Workers Conference, which is this week in Minneapolis. We'll be there with a, a wonderful, poignant gallery of artwork that expresses the sibling journey in one word. That has been created by siblings all across the country.
2: And one of my questions is, you know, could go to any of you, but a lot of the stories I've heard is when people are doing transplants, whether it be bone marrow or stem cell, they get a lot of it from their siblings. And a lot of the siblings feel an intense amount of pressure for these transplants to take and for it to work, because sometimes that could be the person's only, you know, shot at a true recovery. So for people who are in that situation, what type of you know, what do you guys see? What do you hear? What's the feedback? What do you guys do to help them?
3: Well, there's only a, a one-third chance that a sibling will be a match for their brother or sister. So when, and this is this is like an onion that if you keep peeling it and peeling it, it becomes more. Uh, delicate as you go further. It's not quite as as obvious as it seems on the outside, just like the sibling journey isn't just jealousy. It's far more than that. So with bone marrow transplant donor siblings, there is a tremendous amount of pressure. So one of the things we did in the early years with SuperSips was try to change the vocabulary. So rather than a family saying, Jimmy wasn't a match for his... Well, excuse me, this is for a non-match sibling. Rather than saying, Jimmy wasn't a match for his brother... Instead, the family can say, "No one in the family was a match," so that brother or sister doesn't feel like, "Oh my God, now I'm a double loser. My, my, I couldn't even save my brother or sister's life." That's for the non-matching sibling. It, it, it's a tremendous amount of angst that siblings may feel when continually, over and over again, it's that phrase is used. Oh yeah, well this one wasn't a match for their brother or sister, so that's why we needed to go to the registry. And Be the Match is an absolute wonderful way for these families to be able to reach out and find a match if the siblings don't match. If the sibling does match, they hopefully are receiving the support. Well, they do receive support from Super on on uh, what it is like to be a marrow donor. They also receive from Be the Match organization. There are patient resources to help understand what that journey is like. And, yes, we have heard from siblings that they feel an obligation to be as healthy as they can and to to really try to do everything they can in this role of being the donor. Many times it's a lot of pressure for them to be called uh, the hero because they often feel as they're waiting for engraftment after the transplant Oh, my gosh, what if things don't go well? Or what if they relapse? Was it me? Was it something I did? So, again, like I say, it's an onion that you keep peeling, and it's quite delicate. And we continue to try to educate on how the parents, caregivers, and the transplant professionals can educate the siblings, help them realize they're giving their brother or sister far more of a chance than anyone else in the world could do.
4: Well, I want to... Turn the conversation back to Whitney for a quick second, because I couldn't help but notice in your bio that you are an underachiever. Um, you have a bachelor's degree in business administration and social entrepreneurship, and you're currently pursuing a master's in nursing in Minnesota. Um, I, I'm just excited because it's such a an aggressive career path trajectory you have. Has that been shaped at all by your past? I mean, obviously our our lives are shaped by our past, but what impact do you think? Uh, having sadly lost your sister, having to be a surviving sibling. Uh, wh- what role do you think that means for you going forward?
7: Um, <clears throat> I'd like to say that I'm living in celebration of her life, or others would say it living in honor of. You know, I'm not. I'm not trying to live a life that she would have had, but my sister wanted to be a nurse, and I take that seriously because she encountered so many different providers throughout her cancer treatment journey, and I realized that the ones that she wanted to emulate were the nurses, and that has always spoke to me. And I think I was just destined to become a nurse, that it just kind of went around my elbow to get to my thumb to do that. Um, the social entrepreneurship piece in there is, to some extent, um, similar to starting an organization like Stoop to Cancer or Super Sibs, where you know we can take a non-profit and say, yes, we can still make money so we're self-sustainable, but let's go and really make that huge, broad impact change. So I don't know if that answers your question.
4: Well, it, it did, and those are great words that you just used, social impact and footprint. and
7: it,
4: Entrepreneurship is really what it, it's all about these days, and you have to think very differently about what you want to accomplish and the barriers to accomplish that. Uh, groups like SuperCivs and SuperCancer are, are evidence to Almost now, it's like an, an older school way of thinking about it. If you build it, they will come. It doesn't really work that way anymore. You have to build things in a way that meets people where they're at. So that's I commend great. you for thinking that way. Um, and, you know, we're just catching up to where we thought we needed to be five years ago, right? <laughs> I think that's yeah. fair. Um, yeah. And Matt, when,
3: that, that, can it, when that, you were asking earlier about uh, barriers, and then you said about ways, ways that things can be done differently, um at some point can you uh, can we ask Suzanne to explain this exciting launched movement that's taking place in September called September?
4: Yes, September. I I've heard all about it, Suzanne. You have the stage.
3: <laughs> sure, I'd love to share it with you. So last year we started this we decided to present that we're we're calling September September, and it's a month-long campaign to raise awareness and funds for siblings of children with cancer. We're doing it in all different ways, and one way you really helped us out last year with this, Matt, is um, we're asking people to wear suspenders as symbolism to support and lift up siblings. So we had a lot of people all over the country last year wearing suspenders and uh, posting pictures of themselves, tweeting pictures of themselves with suspenders, raising a lot of funds and awareness for super so, um you can anyone who's listening can go to super, uh being september.org or september.com and learn more about that campaign.
4: Well, that's awesome. So so all right, so let's look at the horizon. We have got like 5 minutes left on the show. Um, give us some case studies. I'll be 34,000 brothers and sisters. Many of them have probably uh, grown up at this point and they they probably want to come to Vegas with us at some point.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, what role do you think the young adult cancer universe can serve? Who I would I would lovingly call them the graduates of Super Sibs.
3: The young adult patient cancer survivors or the young adult sibling survivors? Uh, a little of both. Well, I'll start, and then they can pick up. I guess I would say that young adult patient survivors, it will be wonderful if they'll continue to acknowledge that, as as they in many cases have, that their brothers or sisters are going through this journey as well and to invite and encourage the hospital support professionals and uh, organizations that they must include and integrate siblings' communication, uh, assessment, and support into the ongoing standard of care. Siblings themselves, uh, the, the best thing that these young adults are doing now that they've, as, in a sense, well, they become young adults out of the SuperSips program, uh, which serves up until age 18 and now online even beyond that with um, the new SibSpeak website, that for them to continue to share their story, to share their voice so that others will be able to recognize when a child is diagnosed with cancer, they are impacted in an emotional sense with the emotional diagnosis of cancer. They can use their voice. They've now become ambassadors for Super Sibs. We have some serving on our scholarship committee to help select additional scholars in the future, as well as these siblings are helping us design effective services so that we can better reach siblings who are following in their footsteps.
4: It's really amazing, really. And I have you... All right, I have a question here then, basically. Most of these, is it fair to say that most of these single-digit survivors, patients, siblings have parents in their 20s, 30s, and
3: 40s? You know, I can't say that I've ever looked at that. I mean, it's probably a good guess, but it's probably 30s, 40s, yes, I think eight younger siblings. So they're, they're balancing it, certainly their early parenting stages, yes.
4: Because I'd love to learn how we could help serve those young adults who are now caregivers to their children, as identified being not just resources to meet other young adult parents whose children are sick, but how do we work with you conceptually? This is all about survivorship and quality of life. This isn't about lab coats and and test tubes. So the community is really how do we build that peer model where every young young adult parent caregiver who understands the value of, of the best they can do to ensure sibling equality Uh, can transfer that wisdom, experience, and knowledge to the next parent.
3: I think that's a tremendous idea, and one of the barriers that you asked about earlier is there there just is not at all attention on sibling research, let alone parenting of siblings of kids with cancer, let alone young adult parents who now have a child with cancer and other children. They're super-sips kids. And so this is, I guess, my plea to say, can we now start to blast forward, and maybe it's through some social entrepreneurship in an even stronger fashion, can we blast forward so that NIH and NCI and uh, Department of Education and others say, all right, how can we now start to focus on our resource, research dollars into determining what's going to be the most effective use of resources to help these families heal? And that's what you're talking about. And we're ready to jump in and hoping to do so. We just all need right. the funding to be able to do it.
4: Well, actually, uh, all you I, need is to buy Kenny a beer. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
7: mm. <laughs>
4: Minimum
1: operating
7: <Yeah>.
4: procedure <laughs>
1: I'm on
7: that.
4: Yeah.
7: Matthew, I'd really like to second what Melanie is saying in terms of research and just the importance of Quality, methodologically quality studies because we've had research. There's data out there about siblings for 20-something years. When I was a little kid, the data was there. But we're dealing with cohort studies of 70, 100 patients. We need thousands to really be able to say this is generalizable information and then to translate it into interventions for families. Um, I think she's absolutely right that we've made some great headway on you know what are the best practices in hospitals, but we need more um, to be able to address those young adults. And then, also, the kind of not so nice feeling part of this is the bereavement aspect that there are young adults um, that are losing their siblings as young adults to cancer, and their bereavement is unique and different from mine was at age five. And we have just a paucity of research on what that looks like for young adult siblings.
4: Well said. Well said. So I'll leave uh, parting thoughts uh, for Melanie and Suzanne. Uh, what's, what, besides September, which I'm excited about, and if you can get me in suspenders, I'm going to get Kenny in suspenders. I love suspenders. What's <laughs> not to love? <laughs> oh, I love suspenders. What, are, what can we look forward to this fall beyond September?
3: Well, I think uh, Melanie mentioned this, but we find that teenage, teenage siblings have a, have a particularly hard time, and I think a lot of that comes from, you know, they internalize. And as Whitney mentioned, talked about resilience quite a bit. And so we developed a teen website called that that is based on the concept of being able to teach resiliency. And it's, it's more than just a website. It's an online community where sibling, teen siblings can post and blog and talk to each other and comment on each other's artwork and posts and poems. And it's really a great community for them to share their feelings and their advice. To, to other two other teen siblings. Well, and I would I, also add that unfortunately, in the coming fall, at this current rate, there will be between 300 and 400 new siblings of children with cancer referred into the Super Sibs program every single month. So it's a, it's just this huge swelling wave that continues until we find a cure for cancer. We're going to figure out how we can help these siblings heal so that they're not collateral damage in the
4: war against cancer as well. Couldn't have said it better myself. I can't thank you guys enough for taking the time to be on the show. The website is Super Sibs, S I B Supersibs.org. Check out Sibspeak.org and check out September coming up in August. No, I'm kidding. In September. Ah, okay. I'll see you in September. Yes. Melanie, Suzanne, Whitney, thank you so much for joining us tonight.
7: Thank you. Mary. Thank you, Danny. Thank you.
4: All right. So, uh, Scott, H. Allen, I wanted to ask you guys about your siblings through this experience.
6: Well, actually, what's interesting is, um, well, I, I have one brother. I also have a, a stepbrother, and my stepbrother was diagnosed with testicular cancer about uh, three months after I was. Are you kidding? Whoa. Yeah. Wow.
4: Wow. wow.
6: Yeah. So that was, uh, you know, so we had a lot of family stuff going on right around that. I'm just not sure. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I have a very supportive family, so, you know. Very good to have, uh, you know, someone to like, someone my age to kind of go through that with, in a way. Right.
0: I have a, uh, I have siblings, I have many siblings, um, but I have three immediate brothers, and uh, you I. Your poor parent I know, I know, <laughs> all men, but I was, I'm the only kid who, I'm the only one in my family who's ever had cancer, so it was definitely a shock, and I think in a lot of ways they were incredibly supportive, of course, um, but. I, they live in St. Louis, and I decided to do my treatment in Los Angeles, right. um, mainly to maintain some semblance of independence. But when, when they were talking about siblings, I did want to say uh, there's a part of my show in Chemocation, which is a live show of it, of sort of what I'm doing. Um, my writing partner, Brian, who's essentially my brother, uh, he talks about sort of what it's like to be a cancer adjacent, you know, what it's like for the sibling or for the caretaker or for the person closest in your life right. to to help that person through cancer, you know, and he did it in a funny way by saying like, Oh, well, H. Allen got a book deal and H. <laughs> Allen got all these things and he goes in that way but he's also like, but H. Allen also got cancer. And like, and just sort of explaining the point of view of someone who didn't get the cancer but kind of got the cancer, and siblings feel that. They yeah. feel that really strongly, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a really poignant sort of unknown voice to the cancer experience.
4: I mean, I'm just impressed in a bad way that even 20 years later, we're still having to almost force the hand of the caregiver conversation. Yeah, yeah. We had nearly almost half, and I think uh, Maureen can confirm this with you, almost half of the content at OMG in Vegas was about caregivers
1: Mm
4: -hmm. and I don't know the exact percentage but I know last year 30 or 40 percent of the attendees were caregivers so you know you can only do so much to have an issue and provide support but if it's not yet even still if we're still having to fight to get it to be a standard of care that when you're brought into that the oh shit moment of the oh shit week with the doctors and you have a brother or a sister at any age they're part of that conversation
2: yeah my uh brother was the fortunate one who got to sit in the room with me when i was told i had cancer as my parents he's the only one who also lives in new york city is my only immediate family and when the radiologist is like you need a family member here as soon as possible and uh he came with me and it was pretty terrible and uh sometimes i feel really guilty that he was the one who had to sit there and hear the whole thing and it was so, because I was the only one in my family to ever get cancer as well, so it was the whole shock of all of it and having had no prior experience of dealing with a serious illness like this. But one of the funnier moments I do remember is I, told my, I had texted my brother and said, um, oh, I made the appointment with my um, plastic surgeon. And he goes, do I have to go to that one? I was like, <laughs> no, it's cool. You could skip that one. Right. But it was, you know, he was really helpful. He, like, sat through all my appointments and took naps in waiting rooms while I got pet scans right. and you know was super helpful and really supportive and my sister-in-law took care of me to my surgery and I'll leave it on my one last funny note was when I first had to start I gave myself my new lasta shots they didn't make me go back to the doctor to do it, to have them do it and the first couple of times I was really nervous to like give myself an actual injection very
5: Tyler Durden of you yeah <laughs>
2: So I'd always make someone come over, and on a Friday, my brother freelances, so he happened to, you know, have time, and he came over, and he like is not into needles at all, and he was like, some grabbing out of my thigh. And, you know, I, w- I wipe it down with rubbing alcohol, and I'm-, I'm holding it, and I'm kind of staring at it and breathing, and like, okay, I can do this, I can do this. And he goes, one, two, three, to shove it in. I was like, what do you think it is? A shot of adrenaline? Yeah. <laughs> I was
4: like... The human
0: therapy. Yeah. Yeah. The therapy.
2: That was literally what he told me to do. I was like, well, first of all, it's painful on the way in, and it feels like your yeah. leg is on fire and blowing up. I was like... I looked at him, and I was like, really? Calm down. You're not helpful. Right. But, you know, it kind of took the edge off, because I could tell he wanted it over as much as I wanted it over. Right, right. But, uh, you know. In some ways, you want to shield them from that stuff.
0: Like, yeah. I always felt that with Brian, is that I wanted to shield him from seeing a lot of sort of the bad stuff, so I would never take him to any doctor yeah. right. or anything. But then, like, I needed help. I honestly
2: needed help showering one day.
0: And, like, yeah. it was, you know, you're... Family, when you shower together. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah. My sister in law had to help me shower, and she sponge bathed me after my mastectomy. and I'm always like, "Thanks for sponge bathing me." And she's like,
0: "It's definitely a moment in a relationship." And yeah. she's like,
2: yeah. "I try to block that out of my head." I was like, "Oh, come does, on." Does
6: Hallmark make a card for that? Yeah, exactly. I think
0: it's all you naked, and I'm sorry.
2: Yeah. yeah.
6: <laughs>
2: <laughs> sorry, you saw me naked, covered in betadine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Well, this has been a good show. I mean, I mentioned that my brother and I are three and a half years apart, and it, it was it was one of many schisms that drove us apart, him getting no attention, me getting all the attention because I was dying and he wasn't, but he was going through and suffering just equally in, in the same rite of passage as a sibling does. My wife was, um, my brother, you know, passed away. Uh, my brother-in-law passed away uh, when he was uh, 19, but the age difference between my wife and my brother was 10 years. So she was 29 when he passed, but she was 23 when he got sick at 13. Very different dynamic if you're a sibling with that kind of age difference. She was almost a, a maternal to him rather than a siblingal. I don't know. What was, was made up the word. Siblingal. Siblingal. <laughs> <laughs> but in that sense, you know, I was there with her while he was in his final weeks and months. And, and as, a, as a caregiver and a sibling, you know, she wasn't given what she needed or she wasn't even offered what she needed as a sibling um, and neither was my brother so yeah. uh, so I mean this is specifically re- relevant to children yeah. super sibs but again they grew up and the issues are kind of the same so that's the I'm glad you guys were here as young adults to share your story with the siblings and Melanie and uh, Suzanne were here to talk about that thank so, you cool. for us. no this is great you can go home now Okay, I'm going to <laughs> go you have to stay yeah um, but good Good stuff
2: It was a great show Yeah
4: Really good show Too bad Kenny's here That's okay it's Terrible <laughs> Kenny they just Are I didn't so have to you I didn't, didn't even have so, cancer He seems like a lovable man Kenny's a sibling To his father I'm, I'm just a ginger. <laughs> you're looking a little disheveled tonight. you got to clean you up a little bit.
5: You know what? I haven't had alcohol in a couple of days. <laughs> no. So it's, it's manifesting a like physical from, effect. Bender, Bender, no, you're, <laughs> when yeah. you got the shakes.
4: When Bender from Futurama doesn't have alcohol, it gets all rusty. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Your beard kind of suggests the opposite. Your beard looks like you've been on a Bender. This <laughs> is just the beginning. <laughs> I,
4: I think you need a
6: new stupid cancer hoodie. They do an intervention on a future round. Bender, have you been not drinking? <laughs> exactly. Why aren't you drinking? That's an outervention. Outervention,
4: <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you guys, and now it is time for our closing sequence.
1: Prepare
0: to
4: activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets.
0: you ever seen
2: a grown man naked?
6: And so, to all of you, a fond farewell.
2: Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meeting.
6: Boomagoo, oh, you
4: done it again.
3: That was so terrible. I think you gave me cancer.
5: Okay, Matthew, that's our show, number 265. I hope you had as much fun as I did poking a stick at stupid cancer. Well,
4: Kenny, I did, for that matter. So we'd like to thank our guests, Melanie Goldish, Suzanne
2: Scala, Whitney Kipstad, and the lovely and talented H. Allen Scott. And tune in next week, self-expression and empowered survivors. We welcome young adult cancer survivors, writers, blockers, and Soapbox, e activist Lonnie Horn, Jody Shager, and Eman Conrad to share the secrets to their success of balancing angst of truth and self-expression. Stupid Cancer Chief Chica Officer Erica Reyes in the Survivor Spotlight. Yes,
4: she is the Chief Chica Officer. Okay, folks, if you missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes at itunes.stupidcancer.org or check out the archives at stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks... If it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Kenny Kane, Annie Goodwin, myself, and our home team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, have a great week. We'll see you back here live next Monday at 8 p.m. Good night, folks. We
3: gotta raise awareness, it's predictable, strive, cause not every cancer survivor's over 65. We're all veterans of a battle, and the bulk of us mourn in this world too many soldiers to serving in multiple tours, so...